I feel like you touched on something that I think is so important and I think people just don't get it unless you're in the space, which is like you never take things for granted. And I mm-hmm. think high achievers, you have confidence, but you don't err on the side of assuming anything. Welcome to The Other Three Years, a show for anyone who has an Olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of The Other Three Years. This week on the podcast, I have a Saratoga Rowing alum, and she has also done many other things. Most recently, she is a world rowing commentator and honestly, just an overall amazing woman. But most importantly, Saratoga Rowing alum, Colleen Seville. So Colleen was before my time in Saratoga, but our love for SRA runs deep. And I've heard many stories about Colleen over the years. She's a legend. And she had a pretty incredible coxswain career of her own, both in high school at SRA and then in college, where she competed both with Ohio State and Northeastern, which we discuss on the podcast and then beyond. And in the past decade, she's really made a name for herself as a rowing commentator, working her way all the way up to the world rowing circuit, which she's been doing for the past like six or seven years. So I had a blast chatting with Colleen so much so that we are going to break up our conversation into two parts. So this week's episode is part one and we chat about how she got involved in the sport of rowing and what it was like for her in high school and college. And next week we talk about kind of after college. So before we get into that, here's an update on what's currently happening in my training. I am in my second week of our Sarasota camp. It's kind of a pre- winter speed order camp. So at the end of next week, we'll be racing in the winter speed order. It's been a good training. I think my pieces and competing aren't really where I would like them to be right now, but I'm also aware, like everyone, I'm a work in progress and I just have really been trying to stay internally focused and getting better every row, getting better every day, every workout, and not getting super external and focusing on what other people are doing, but just focusing on what I'm doing, because I think that that's how I can build confidence within myself and ultimately show up, you know, when we're racing and when it really matters in my best form physically and mentally. So it's hard for me personally to just get back on the water and be going fast really quickly, but I'm trying to manifest the opposite of that and just getting better every day and being confident to put together some good pieces when I have to. But it's been really fun actually to be here. Most of us stay in a hotel right next to the race course and it's been really nice this year. We've gotten dinners catered to the hotel, which has been a really fun way to, you know, hang out with different teammates, but also it's so nice not to have to cook in our little tiny hotel kitchens. So that's been a major upgrade from last year. And the weather's been pretty nice. It hasn't been super hot yet. And it's been windy, but not terrible. So it's it's honestly been been a pretty good camp so far. We kind of have the end of this week. And then next week, you know, even more people will be coming into the Sarasota area for the race at the end of next week. So things are rolling and happening, but it is fun. And it's fun that there are so many different people here. And it's it's nice to see, you know, so many friends and so many teammates. I'm excited for next week when I get to see even more. So just trying to keep building momentum. So now it's time for part one of my conversation with Colleen Seville. 
Like, I'm not from Saratoga. You're a local celebrity, Christy. Well, I don't know, but... Don't be modest. Yeah, there's a sandwich named after you at Putnam. Like, it makes me sad that I don't get to spend as much time in Saratoga now because I really do love it there. And I yeah. feel like gearing up for Tokyo, I really was in Saratoga way more. So it, I feel like a lot of people felt really connected and like part of the journey, which I hope that they still do. I'm sure they still do. Like Saratoga is such a special place. And in so many ways, it really is a small town, even though I know it's grown and it always blows my mind when people actually know of it, which it shouldn't, but you know, living in Boston, when I say it, I'm like, so it's like, there's Albany and they're like, you know, we know like the horses, the whole thing. And there is very much, I think for the core community there, such a tight knit community. So they will be watching you in Paris. No doubt they will be probably a dessert, <laughs> if not a second sandwich <laughs> named after you um, by the time you get there. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> no, but Saratoga is a great leeway into yeah. introducing you a little bit to the show. Obviously you're now a woman of the world i would say you travel probably more than anyone else i follow on instagram so i've been really blessed i feel really lucky to work with world rowing since 2017 unofficially and 2018 officially and it's taken me to all, all kinds of places and courses and most importantly, given me the opportunity to watch world-class rowing with uh, what we always say is true. It's the, the best seat in the house. I mean, to sit at the thousand meter mark or the 1500, you know, timing hut and watch a fleet of boats, eight singles, you know, you name it, go by is such a privilege. So it's been an amazing and completely unexpected chapter in my rowing story. It's been awesome. Yeah. I do. I want to hear all about that. But first, I don't yeah. know how you got into rowing. So oh, I'd love to hear how, how it all started. And if you started as a coxswain or if you were yeah. had, had grand rowing interests. Well, Christy, you know, you know what a coxswain is. But for maybe those uh, who are listening, who are less familiar, um, the boys in the boat, I feel like the world has such a, a deeper understanding for what a, the role of a coxswain is these days with the movie and the and the book. A coxswain, you know, I've heard it described as sort of like a, a hybrid between a jockey and a quarterback, which I think is a great description because you are your primary role, right, is, of course, to steer the boat. Um, to go as straight as possible on straightaways and, of course, on turns, you know, to, to take the best course possible. Um, so steering safety, but then also to be the one unified voice that, that's helping call the, the plays, so to speak, you know, most notably in, in eights and fours. And your question is really spot on because I'm five foot seven. So I didn't, you know, go into the sport of rowing necessarily thinking that I would be a coxswain. I started at Saratoga Rowing Association at the end of sixth grade. So it was the summer for me after sixth grade as a rising seventh grader. So whatever that is, 12 or 13 years old and joined with a group of rising seventh graders that summer. And within that group of however many people there were, I think it was nine, I think it was enough to fill an eight, was the smallest person like within that group, right? So it was still fairly tall. I don't know that if I had hit, you know, my full height at five, seven quite yet. But Chris Chase, who we all know and love, said, okay, within this group, you'll cox and you'll do it for a season, maybe two, and then we'll teach you how to row. And I have to be honest, like I liked it but I didn't like love it at first. I had I had a lot of learning to do. I mean, when you're 13 years old and you're steering a boat before you can even drive a car, like years before you will even have the chance to drive a car, you know, there's a lot of like learning and growing and leadership and confidence building and all of that that goes into 
learning to know what the heck to do when you're in that seat, because it is such a huge responsibility. So I think I loved it enough, certainly to continue, but I didn't fall in love with it, I think, until probably like the, the maybe, you know, few years after that. And so Cox spring of seventh grade, and then just never left Coxing. And thank God, because I would have had a completely different experience as a rower. Like my life, you know, would have been looked completely different in terms of the trajectory that it put me on. And so I'm so grateful and so happy to chase and to Saratoga rowing, but then also just to sort of happenstance to stay in that seat. And so kept coxing in eighth grade and ninth grade, you know, through high school, in college, after college and sort of beyond. Yeah, it was Saratoga rowing. It was like the novice years. It was it was the early, early years of Saratoga rowing. I mean, that's before there was a boathouse. We had like some boat racks down, you know, the hill for you know, by Saratoga Lake, people that that know it know it. And that part of the community of Saratoga rowing, I also really loved. I mean, I remember being that 13 year old kid and 14 year old kid and we would rake late leaves every fall and like take care of the space and the container that we practiced in and that was like our home even if it wasn't the fanciest you know place so it was a gift yeah those were the early goings yeah i know i feel bad that i never saw saratoga before the boat has i've heard i've heard quite a lot about it i i did go there when the old bridge existed so I'm like yeah. not quite total newbie, but yeah. You probably can never outrun the stories though. Like everyone's going to want to tell you about like the site, I think is what we used to call it's it. It's really nice though. So sometimes you, I'll be like at the boathouse, you know, at work or working out and people that rode back then will just stop by and, oh, is Chase here? Is Kat here? Like I'm blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to come check it out and then tell this heartwarming story about how rowing Saratoga changed their lives and so nice. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm totally with you. And like, I mean, I also rode in high school and I cannot imagine driving to where I rode in high school and telling anyone that. Well, they would spot you a mile away. They'd be <laughs> no. like, Christy's back. Is it where, was it Wayland Weston? Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah, where you rode in high yeah, school? So they had the boathouse that they still have when I was there. We rode on Lake Tituate, like Wayland Town Beach. So it's like a basin off the Charles. And how are they like, are you they're Olympian? Are there multiple Olympians to come out of that program? Um, There are actually. So Will Newell, I think is his name. I went to high school with a boy named Michael Newell, but his older brother, Will Newell, was in the lightweight for in 2008, maybe 2012. I'm not sure. Okay. But I know he went to the Olympics and he rode at Will and Weston. And then actually, boy that I w- rode with, whose name is Jacob Buchek, is in was in the Canadian men's four in Tokyo and is still rose oh, wow. in there. Um, yeah, his, uh, I think mom is Canadian. So he was a Columbia lightweight and then he's been on the Canadian national team. So two of us in Tokyo, so which is pretty cool. Like a That's public really cool. high school program. That is really cool. But you, And you guys were probably all masked up. So you couldn't actually like properly hang out with one another at the venue right in Tokyo. I mean, I've seen him like a ton at different events and stuff. I think he was a couple of years below me. Still like kind of a crazy thing. And there have been a lot of people from Whale and Weston that have raced at like world champs and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of like program kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right around the corner from us in Boston. Yes. So I... We'll probably embarrass Kat here, but he's said before that 
probably like the best two coxswains he's ever had were you and Nicole Falvo, who happened to be there at the same time. Yeah. So how was it having that kind of – did you feel like there was competition between the two of you? Maybe just a little bit about that dynamic because I feel like that's a lot in – I mean, at any stage, but picking a coxswain is so like subjective. Yeah, it's so personal too, right? Yeah. um, Oh, that's nice of Kat. Bless Kat. I think, and I like to think that Nicole would say the same thing. I like to think that it made us both better. And I'm certainly better for having worked with her and, um, you know, been, been contemporaries or teammates or whatever, right? At the same time. You know, oftentimes, especially in high school programs, there might be, you know, one or two coxswains that, or even like collegiate programs where you're kind of like, okay, so-and-so's, you know, kind of got this boat. And I think it was a real benefit to be able to work with one another and to have that competitive space where, you know, the program at the time was doing so well and the rowing, the caliber of the rowing was so high that I think like, you know, it was on us to keep the level of coxing as high as we possibly could and to continue growing as coxswains and as people. So I do think I would imagine she'd say the same thing too. I think it set me up for college really well, where I was used to being around other great coxswains and Nicole was excellent, of course. Um, Katie Ross at the time was another coxswain who was with us who went on to Tennessee. There were coxswains on the men men's team as well that were really strong. So I think that culture, sometimes I, I think a little bit about um, like the University of Washington and I'm like, oh man, gosh, it would be so hard to cox there because the caliber of coxswains is so strong. And there's just like so the depth of the team is so broad that you could, you know, be the 6B coxswain and you could be just lucky to be boat boated. That wasn't totally the case for us at Saratoga. I mean, we had fewer, certainly fewer boats than that. But I look back and I think it was a really good thing. And I think actually at the time too, I knew it was a good thing too, if I'm, if, to, to be honest, because I really, really tried to live in this space, both in high school and in college, where I never took my seat for granted. Like I never woke up on a Monday and assumed that like the lineup was going to have, you know, in, in college, like the popsicle stick name or however it was, right, that we were sorting lineups. And so I think for me, that push was also really important and helped me develop. So like hard in a, in a, in a good way, I think, because I can't imagine being on a team where, you know, maybe there's just fewer boats or whatever the circumstances are, just like, less of a pool of, of either rowers or coxswains, but like there's just kind of one coxswain. I think, I think that would actually be like much, much harder, you know, if it was a team where it was always small boats and then the coxswain hopped in here or there. And I know like the higher one gets, right, those are the realities. And you might only get a shot in the seat every however many weeks or months or whatever that looks like. But like, I feel lucky to have coxed at the same time as Nicole together on the team. Yeah. I feel like you touched on something that I think is so important and I think people just don't get it unless you're in the space which is like you never take things for granted and I Mm. think high achievers are constantly you have confidence but you don't err on the side of assuming anything and I watched the Netflix U.S. women's national team docu-series about their World Cup campaign, which obviously they didn't do Mm. as well as they would have wanted. But it was so interesting because it showed 
you know, the pre-camps and them getting selected. And it's like, you know, Megan Rapinoe and these other women that have been to so many World Cups and you would think they were just uber confident, like, oh, obviously I'm going to make this team. But they're saying the same things. You're spot is never guaranteed you have to show up you know you have to earn your place every day and it's like yeah I think you think it like gives me chills yeah but it's true and I think if you talk to anybody that's achieving things that's the mindset that they have and I think the earlier you embrace that instead of wanting to get to a place of oh no you're just gonna be a shoe in because I agree it would be harder right? Be way harder. And like, I always tried to think too, like, no matter what, however well or not well you think you're performing, like there's always someone better than you. Like there's just always someone better than you. You know, you might be in whatever boat or whatever team or whatever scenario, but then you like the world expands, expands, expands. And there's just always someone that's better than you. So whatever, however good or bad you think you are, like, that's the truth. That's a really interesting Netflix docu that I feel like now I want to watch. But yeah, it was, I completely, it was good. or sympathize with that. Yeah, it was good. It was, um, I don't know. I, I maybe wish it had been a little bit more actually about soccer. I don't really yeah. know how to, their interpersonal stories were super interesting, but I think it's really the, this is like a little off topic of what we're talking about, but. No, I love it. It's, it seemed to me, I was talking to my roommate Claire about it because she watched it too. What's happened to them or what they've communicated in this docuseries, and I think people are seeing is that the women's national team, you know, in 1999 and then after raised the level of women's professional soccer and mm-hmm. they're winning all the time. They're playing these styles of soccer that people aren't playing and they just have more power. They're better. Now the rest of the world has caught up to them. And so they can't just keep doing the same thing they've been doing and expect the same results because they're not playing the same competition, which I think is really what has happened to rowing and I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the U.S. women's eight but it was like we had this system that made an eight that was faster than any other country's eight and then the rest of the world caught up and it was like how were we going to respond so it's just a really interesting comparison and so I wish they had talked more about like the soccer and the dynamics of Oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. And I completely agree about the women's eight too. It's like, you know, if whatever their sort of formula or race plan was, and then you've got the Romanians who don't settle and you've got just suddenly like the caliber of the eight and the interest in the eight, it just, it, it changes the game. Yeah, it's funny. I was wondering, Christy, if there's recurring rowing anxiety dreams that you have. I actually have most of my anxiety when I'm awake. <laughs> You're like, good news. I do. I do have stress dreams. They usually don't manifest in rowing. It's like some other weird thing. Yeah, I usually have most of my I'm I'm a good sleeper. So. Oh, that's good. I have this one recurring rowing anxiety dream. And like, I still probably have it at least once every six months. And the dream goes something like, well, there's two scenarios, but it's kind of ultimately the same thing, which is. I'm dropped into a college rowing team. And oftentimes, because I transferred out of Ohio State and went to Northeastern, oftentimes it's me returning to Ohio State as a, as a college senior. So like three-ish years or whatever have passed. And it's like March. And so they're just starting to boat the lineups for that season. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like back to the like popsicle stick like moment, right? So I'm like in the boathouse and it's like, well, you've gone and like left us for a few years. Like you may have a shot in hell at making the first date, but like good luck because it's March. So like go off and good luck. And it just, it's like this recurring dream dream where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not going to make the boat. I'm not going to make the boat. There's not enough time. Like you've you've gone and I have to come back and I have to prove yourself and you only have like this amount of time to do it. And can you do it? And then fortunately I wake up, but it's the same dream again and again. And it's kind of akin to like the anxiety dream where people are like, Oh, I wake up and I've like forgotten to go to that like college math class. And so they're about to like take my diploma away. And I'm like, Oh, but I'm always happy that that's, and I'm like, Oh no, it's just been a cool, however many years, but I'm still worried about that. So like, that's good. It's deep down in there somewhere. (laughs) That is that's funny. It's funny. Some of my friends from college have told me that they've had like, yeah, 2K anxiety dreams or something. Ugh. They're not doing 2Ks. I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. But and how many years later? Yeah, yeah it's not. It, it just goes to show you how like deep rooted, you know, back to your early question, earlier question about like the anxieties and what that can look and feel like. It's like, oh, man, there's always a little part of that. I think that lives on with us. Yeah. Um, can you share a little bit about going to Ohio State for one year and then deciding to transfer? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. So as as I mentioned, was at Saratoga Rowing Association, went through high school, had the privilege of working under Eric Catalano, who is the best coach that I've ever had of all time. Still, uh, felt you know, have felt that way ever ever since I left SRA and was recruited to to Ohio State and was thrilled. At the time, they had finished fourth at the NCAA the year prior. So, gosh, this is a while ago. So, I'm a high school senior. I graduate in 2005. I'm recruited to go there fall of 2005 got there. The school, in what is surprising to no one, for folks who haven't been there, is massive. It's like a self-sufficient city in a way. There's buses, there's, you know, I used to cycle to class. Like it's a really, really big campus. And that's okay. I think it felt to me like quite large, you know, at age 18. And it's funny because in subsequent years, I've gone back and been like, oh yeah, this is fine. But, but you know, that's kind of, you're in a different place. I think when you're that, that young, you know, I went to Ohio State and the rowing, the caliber of the rowing was so strong. Like it was the opportunity of a lifetime to get into an eight with these women, many of whom, I don't know that any of them had necessarily been to the Olympics at that point, but were certainly on national teams, you know, for their home countries back home. So to go to Columbus and get into an eight and that fall, you know, I think we raced like the Ravana romp, the UVA race, and there's probably something else that we did, some scrimmages with like Michigan and things like that. But to get in and to like have the opportunity to race at that caliber was unbelievable and a lot of pressure and, and amazing. But like talk about growth really fast to come out of a high school eight and then basically be training with like the, you know, there wasn't a one or two V that was set at that time, but sort of the two training boats, the like first, second, maybe third-ish eight and really uh, grew to love the team as well and was fortunate and then I made a couple of very very close friends who I still speak with you know a couple of them daily one in Germany one in Italy so the rowing piece of it was incredible I did feel the pressure and that was a reality of like being a freshman on that team wanting to make sure that like you know coxing wise I, I certainly had a lot to learn and then as we went through winter training my eyes were so opened to new styles of, of training and training plans. And Andy Teitelbaum was the head coach at the time. Robbie Tenenbaum was the assistant. So to watch like, again, these like Olympic caliber women 
conduct their winter training against a play. It was just a real expanding period for me. And then we came into the spring and we had, you know, a few scrimmage races. I remember my goal, like very aspirational goal going into college was like, I don't want to be put in a four, which in a lot of ways was kind of like inevitable. It's like, you know, training boats, sure, for practice here and there. But I just felt like I was such a better coxswain in an eight than a four. In the fall, we were, you know, primarily in eights. And by the time we got to spring, I was like, I just don't want to be in the four. I've got to be in like, the, I've got to be in the second eight. So it was really happy within the early goings of the spring, was in the second eight in our first official race, which was out in California. And then a couple of races thereafter, and then moved into the first eight, which was like the thrill of a lifetime to go. And I'll never, this is another moment I'll never forget. It was like a, a practice. And we used to do some kind of a drill that was silent. It was like some sort of a like build to the top of the pyramid. And then you kind of come back down the other side. When I moved into the 1V, it was, I don't know, whatever it was, like April or something. So it's like this calm, flat, still like kind of cold morning. And we're doing this silent like pyramid warm up. And we're just the 1 8 out with Andy and the speed coach, like, we're moving, we're moving. The boat's like super flat. We're like gliding. And I'm seeing the like numbers take down on the speed coach. And it actually brought tears to my eyes because it was like such a beautiful rhythm. And I've never had never, and still to this day have like never felt anything like that being inside of, inside of a boat was just unbelievable. So that experience and having the chance to steer that boat was really profound the way I got into it was also meaningful to me because it was a seat race moment. So to be able to like in practice, pull the boats together and back to being a five foot seven coxswain, like win my seat race by, you know, whatever it was, it, it, it meant something to me to be like, I'm five foot seven, you know, I'm probably like 10 pounds heavier than, than this girl next to me. And to get into that boat was, was amazing. We finished fifth at the NCAA that year. We won the big 10, which was exciting. I think we were second at whatever the conference championship was, the Southeast Regionals. And then we were fifth at the NCAA. But along, I sort of had this gnawing because as amazing as the rowing program was, the school just really wasn't for me and Columbus wasn't for me. You know, football at Ohio State is religion. And that was new to me. Like, that's not surprising now that I've like lived in the world longer and I sort of understand the Big Ten and I understand how like things work. But to go there and have football be such a set, like to be everything, honestly, it's like where the minivans rolled in every weekend and everything is about the tailgate and like people would like fall into a depression if they lost the football game. And I remember I was in a language class once it was like Italian or Spanish or whatever, like an intro level class. And it was like, you know, the conditional if this, then that, like if I could meet a famous person, it would be. And like, we were all meant to answer the question and this like name keeps popping up. And I finally turned to someone in the class and I'm like, Hey, like, who is this person? Like, who is this name of there? And they're like, Oh no, it's the quarterback. And I was like, no, it's supposed to be like Michelle Obama. Like, you know, like it's free reign. Like, no, that's what I mean when like the football to me felt all consuming and like being there in some ways at that time felt really suffocating. And so while I loved the rowing, if I could have been, if there was a world where I wasn't five foot seven and I could have been feasibly an Olympic hopeful, I would have totally stayed. And I would have like, no doubt, I would have very happily stayed at Ohio State and like ran at that goal. But I knew because I wasn't able to even just like get into the U23 camps because I was like seven pounds over what they were looking for. They just wouldn't even consider me that I was like, all right, I've got to choose a life feels right to me in other ways and not just the rowing, which was really hard. 
it's hard. Yeah. I feel like it's so interesting. I feel like so many people when I was like getting recruited were kept saying, you know, oh, but if you can't row, you have to like the school, you have to like the school. Mm-hmm. And also it's in hindsight, you're like, why do you trust such young children to make such a big decision? Oh, I know. Like, I know. But I really wanted to go to UVA before I, when I was looking at schools and I went on my visit there and I understand what you're saying because it wasn't the like football necessarily, but just the Southern, which Virginia is not even that Southern, but the Southern way of life. Yeah. I was like, yes, I don't think I can do it. I don't think that I yes. can feel comfortable here. And it's a beautiful school, and I the coach was so nice. He's I, he's a great guy. The program Legend. couldn't be more fun. Like the girls were so nice. Everything was great, but just the atmosphere of the campus versus yeah. what I felt when I went on my official to Yale, which was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, and I feel so comfortable. And it's interesting, like you feel it in your. And what did you, so like, I felt suffocated. If you think about like a word or two, what was it that like felt not right to you? Maybe if I had been a student there, cause it was obviously yeah. just a, a visit. I, I think I just felt really uncomfortable and like out yeah. of place. I couldn't be myself there as much, which then I felt really silly, you know, for almost like making that decision. Because it was like everyone else was like, oh, yeah, but you're being offered a scholarship and, you know, blah, 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 like grow. And I'm I was like, yeah, but what if I get injured the first day and I can't row? No, you're you're spot on. And I and I completely agree with you where I think back. And it's funny, the word silly you just said. I'm like when I was kind of explaining like, oh, the campus felt so big. I feel silly saying that now because I'm like, it's a campus. Like, it's not a big deal. So there's like parts of that. But I think the the actual implication is like, even at 17 years old in your bones, you can feel if something is like the right fit or not for you. Mm-hmm. And like that piece, like our instincts never actually lie to us, even if the sort of rationale changes over time of like, oh, it could have been this or, it could, you know, the, your body knows mm-hmm. You know, so you totally get yeah. it. So how did you decide on Northeastern? Uh, yeah, so I so I went through the spring and like huge credit to Andy Teitelbaum. I was really afraid that if I was too vocal about my concerns about staying there, that it would, it would jeopardize my spot in the eight. So I did take that spring to decide, like I wanted to get through the season. At the same time, I also knew that I needed to start to like plan for a future if it wasn't going to be at Ohio State. And I had always loved Boston. So immediately, you know, was thinking about BU and Northeastern. Coincidentally, or I should say ironically, I had taken an official to Northeastern in high school because Elida Durant, shout out to Elida, um, who we all know and love at Saratoga Rowing, who was a yeah, longtime teammate of mine. Elida and I actually rode, of course, in high school and together at um, Northeastern and then after college and in the summers at Riverside. So she's like my forever um, seven or eight seat. You know, Elida went to Northeastern. So when she was a freshman, I was a senior in high school. I had taken an official visit to Northeastern, but really because of the the, like Elida connection and they didn't offer me any money, which for a school, which is, you know, a reality. It's also a really expensive school. And so I didn't really you know, consider it. I was happy and 
thankful that I, they had had me come out for the weekend. I went on my way. I was, you know, deciding between other schools. But when I knew that Boston was an area that, that, you know, back to what you were saying about being comfortable, that was like a city that I felt very comfortable in and felt like myself in, just felt like whatever the opposite of feeling suffocated was, it felt like there was space and opportunity and culture. And, and so chatted with both BU and Northeastern and thank you to Joe Wilhelm, the head coach still today of Northeastern for taking a chance on me and was able to bring me in and financially it worked out, you know, it was like essentially an even trade and showed up that fall. And it was really, I don't know, you know, for folks, I guess you didn't have the transfer experience, but it is a very bizarre feeling when you're on a sports team and you're like, give back your gear to one team and show up, you know, coincidentally in just a different shade of red and black to compete on a completely different team in boats that felt completely different in a type of rowing that felt completely different. So I think there was definitely like a transition period for me. Fortunately, Elida was out in Northeastern, but it took me a good like season or so to kind of like get my feet on the ground. And then I started to love it. And then my life also felt fuller and more like I had more, I was more interested in the classes that I was taking. There was sort of like just more going on, but you can't have it all, or at least um, there are, or maybe put another way, there are, there were certainly trade-offs, like the feeling of being at that caliber of rowing at Ohio state, you know, was second to none. So it was different, but it was good. Yeah. And I was okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. My um, dad and grandfather went to Northeastern, so I am I've always been a Northeastern fan. <sighs> but it's funny because I, whatever, obviously grew up in Boston, and I have never spoken to Joe. So not a knock, really? not a knock on him at all. He came to Whale Weston practice more than once. I like one of my teammates. Uh, from Whale Weston went to Northeastern. Uh, Chelsea Brown, my really good friend from Saratoga, yeah, yeah. went to Northeastern. They did not recruit me at all. Like I'm sure never. And I like took it a little personally. <laughs> okay, I'm relieved because if Christie's like not getting recruited to Northeastern, I can live with my like hard pass <laughs> the first time around. Where they're like, whatever. I, like, I think yeah. I think part of it though, Christy, is like I don't know off the top of my head anymore. So. <laughs> I may stand corrected, but at the time, my understanding is that they had something like 14 or 12 full scholarships when like the big schools had 20. So part of it was that my impression and Joe, if you're out there, um, you know, you can keep me honest, but like that there was some like sorcery of division of like this percentage and that percentage and whatever, like they just had to get really like clever with it. Because you would never pass on Christy. Like, you just wouldn't do that. You don't pass on well, Christy. It was just funny because it was one of those things where I actually really, I, you know, like we were saying, it's so interesting. You trust kids to make these decisions. Yeah. Like, to me, I really didn't want to go to school in Boston. I think just growing up in Boston, I was really like, there's obviously all these amazing schools here, but I really want a different experience. Mm-hmm. And, just wanted to get a little further away from home. So I don't think I, fi- you know, you could fill out the recruiting questionnaires. Right. I don't think I filled them out for like any of the, I mean, maybe Harvard, but I don't think I filled them yes. out for any like BU, BC, Northeastern, any of them. It's funny to think back to the recruiting process because you're kind of like, how did it work back then? Like now a friend of mine is the um, basketball coach at Suffolk and he's like, oh yeah, it's just all texting. <laughs> Like you can't, like these kids won't pick up the phone. So like, you just have to text with them. And like, 
it just seems like the whole dynamic has changed. And obviously like social media presence is like probably something that's at least looked at or considered or at least searched for once or twice. Right. And it's really different than when we were young, which is like, you show up to your mailbox and you're like, who sent me a pamphlet? I know. And who sent me a letter? And it was just a different game. Well, also did the, whatever it was, like June 1st or July 1st, did you guys have yes. that? So they don't really do that anymore. Yeah. And I was explaining to some of the um, like juniors a few years ago, like the stress of that day, because I feel like that really kickstarted, like who was going to call you? And I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, yes, so funny. it's so funny. It's so funny where you're like, you're allowed to talk to this one, but you're not allowed to talk to that one. And like June 1st, and then you'd be like, it was like getting your school schedule, but like in a much more stressful format where you're like, did you get a thing? Like, did you, like, who are you yeah, talking to? Are you going to go on a visit? <laughs> Yeah. And then it's like, oh, everyone got invited to Clemson. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, didn't know. Sorry, Clemson. But I feel like everyone got invited down there. It was such a game. It was so, but like, you're 16, you're 17. You're just like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. It's And in some ways, I feel sorry for the kids today that there's like so much pressure on them. And there's so like rowing has come so far because it's a, the fact that there's like, I don't know what they would be called, but like mentors or scholarship coaches or oh, like whatever it is. It's wild. We knew nothing. It was so, also my parents, like I have wonderful parents, but they were kind of like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and I feel like they were yes. just didn't really believe that it was like real for a little while. No, I remember I... Kate Maloney, who used to coach at Yale, I remember mm -hmm. she sent me an email. I was sitting in my high school library and opened the email and was like, <gasps> and I remember I told this boy that was in my high school class, like, I do you know what I mean? It was just so, I was like, like guess the, what? Yeah, Yale has the emailed Yale me. Yale coach emailed me. And then this oh random boy God. helped me draft my response to her, like, which I feel like in today's world, you would never you know, oh. like, but I was just like, oh, yes, da, da, da. <laughs> you know, like, you're like, that sounds great. Saturday sounds fine. My mom will drop <laughs> me off at noon. Like, really look forward to it. Oh, Chrissy, yeah. that's so funny. I mean, yes. And to the extent that for a period of time, I was doing some writing on the side for rowing news. And some of the like high school kids, if I was doing like junior national team stuff, I would email the kids and I'd get a response from the parent <gasps> as if they're like agents. And it's like, dude, but they're like, teach their own live and let live. But like your kids in high school, it's not like this big media inquiry. But I don't know, I guess we were like flying by the seam of yeah. our pants. Yeah. So I mean, I don't want to knock parents because I'm not a parent. But that seems a little bit. And then did you feel that comfort at Yale when you got there? Were you like, yes? oh, I loved Yale. I mean, the school like I, I loved it. And rowing was awesome in so many ways. So hard in so many ways. Like, I wouldn't mm -hmm. pretend to say everything was perfect. It wasn't. I loved my team so much. Like, I wouldn't change any of it, you know? But I think it was also not lost on me, like, how lucky I was to be there. So I think that I, you know, when things were hard or whatever, it was like I would walk around and look at how beautiful it was mm. and just be like, I get to go to school here. 
And of course, like sometimes I would call my mom and cry or complain about things, you know, a normal kid. But it was also weirdly not lost on me that I only had four years there. Mm, I feel like I was very aware of that. And I'm not sure why. (laughs) Like, so that is so interesting, Christy, because it was never lost in me that I had four years. And the reality is that like every year I kind of felt like, okay, one, like one down, like, okay, now the next down. And like, what a gift to have it, to be looking at it through the lens of like, I only get to do this two more times. Like I'd be lying if I said that was the mentality that I had most of the time. A lot of times it was like, okay, we got through and like now the next one. I think it's interesting also because I never... I think in a long shot dream sort of way, I thought it would be super cool to go to the Olympics. But in in every like reality, I thought I would row in college and then I would row recreationally post-college or, you know, whatever. LOL. I know. But I think that because of that, I like made the most of call it. I don't know. It's It's very interesting now to hear some other women that train on the national team and their college experience. Like I feel like I was a division one varsity athlete, but I also had a full college experience. Like That's cool. I did the things I wanted to do. I went to parties, you know, I, I did, I, yeah, I did yeah. all of it. And I don't know if that's because I went to an Ivy league school. And so the rowing was never going to be like Ohio state football. Like that just mm-hmm. was never going to be the reality. And so everyone was having this kind of more whole experience, but like, I think I would have been upset if I had just used it as a, you know, stepping ground to elite rowing. Like that was never what I was intending to do nor wanted to do. Like now it's fine to me that all I do is train and work and sleep and eat, you know, but I, I didn't. And of course, you know, the three weeks before NCAAs, that's what we did. But like, otherwise we were college students. So I have to imagine that helped. I always think about like happiness is when reality exceeds expectations. Mm -hmm. And so like the cynical way to look at that is to be like, Oh, you just go through life and you're, you know, what you expect is like the bars on the floor. But like the other way to go through it is to be like, like you said, where you're like, Oh my gosh, like look around, look at these buildings, look at the history of this campus and this place. And like, I get to be here and I get to do a sport and I get to do, I get to be like a proper like Yale student. And that like, that's awesome that you had that framing and I'm sure was helpful and, and also necessary because to get through the grueling four years of college rowing, you do need to love it. It can be like love, hate. I think like people don't understand. I don't know if maybe you don't feel this way because of like your experience at Yale, but I always feel like, you know, parents or friends of parents or whatever, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, but you like, you had so much fun doing that. I'm like, it was never fun. Oh like, no, I, I understand know. what you're saying. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You're with like, yes, of course you do. Of course you do. It's like, especially college. And I'm just like, it was never fun, No, but it was meaningful. I mean, college, I even think to this day, like college rowing was one of the hardest things I've done. Yes. Agreed. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Colleen. It was super fun to talk to her. And in part two, we talk about commentating and then Colleen kind of flips the script and asks me some of her own questions. So you really don't want to miss it. And to end the show this week, I'm sharing a quote that my coach, Kat, recently shared with the Orion team. 
He's been sharing, I feel like he's kind of stolen my thunder a little bit, actually. He's been sharing a quote every day in our group chat, and he's been on a real John Wooden kick recently, but I especially liked the quote he shared today. So I'm stealing it from him, but really it's from John Wooden. Promise yourself to make all your friends know there is something in them that is special and that you value. So that's so nice. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. See you next time. I'd love to hear from you. So send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.